Well, good morning from my side. Uh, I know not too many people get excited about the idea of fasting. I'm hoping that by the end of the next few moments that we have together, there will at least be something that's just a little bit more enticing or attractive or encouraging towards something that is horribly counterintuitive, like it is not natural. Our craving is to want to you know, drink enough liquid, hopefully the right liquid, not too much of the wrong liquid, and, and eat and sustain ourselves. Like we, we want this energy, but we are in the middle of a series on hearing God, and I wanna to propose to you that among some of the other uh, examples and practices that we're touching on over these several weeks, I wanna suggest that fasting is one of the key ways that helps us to turn down the noise of the world and tune into the voice of God. Again, that might sound strange, and I fully, fully understand and accept that, uh, but I wanna encourage you kind of to lean in and hopefully to be listening with a heart and a mind that's saying, God, if there's something about this that you're wanting me to catch, help me to catch this, help me to, help me to understand uh, your heart behind this, what to avoid in terms of motives, what, what are the correct motives, what is wisdom in terms of where do I even start, how much do I do, for how long, um, but just to have a heart that is hungry to learn and to receive from God. Uh, just out of interest, for those of you that were with us last week, or maybe you listened to the message during the week, anyone been engaging in the four by four by four? Anyone? Anyone? Don't do that thing where you're too shy to put your hand up. I just want to know if you're doing the four by four by four thing, okay? Fantastic. So we've encouraged people last week. Again, last week we spoke about how uh, one of the key ways that God speaks to us is through His Word, the Bible. And so we've simply encouraged people to try and make a priority of reading Scripture four days a week, four weeks a month for four months. Not that we want you to stop after four months. I'm just hoping that by the time you get to the end of four months, which is the end of November, that you're going to be so in a routine and so in a habit that you're actually going to want to continue and make that a part of your life. All right, coming back to fasting. In the Didache, which is the first Christian writing that we have outside of the New Testament, fasting was actually commanded, or at least strongly encouraged, on Wednesdays and Fridays and two full days before baptism. Don't panic if you come to the baptism class. We're not going to be telling you to fast for 48 hours prior to your baptism. The first Christians, it, in fact, took fasting so seriously, think about this for a moment, and for more or less the first 1,500 years, that the leaders actually had to try and regulate fasting by saying no fasting on Saturdays, no fasting on Sundays. Like people were so eager to fast, they were like, guys, Sabbath is about, a, is about feasting and celebrating. Sunday is about celebrating God. Lent, <clears throat> which some of you are familiar with, a practice, that has been practiced for millennia, or certainly hundreds of years, um, in the build-up to Easter, is a 46-day period where Christians used to fast from uh, sunrise until sunset and break their fast with a small meal. They did this for the 40 or 46 days prior to Easter. Um, Ramadan was actually based on this practice that was actually initially practiced by Christians. Interestingly, again, just a side note, I only heard this the other day, because I remember trying to figure this out. Some of you might have heard me question this. I don't know if you've ever noticed that Ash Wednesday, so this is especially coming from the Catholic tradition, Ash Wednesday is not 40 days before Easter. So I'm like, this is messing with my head, with, with my OCD-ness. I discovered recently that 
that the reason that it was actually 46 days, because the goal was to fast for 40 days, the, the reason that it was 46 days is, is to break the fast or to break that rhythm every Sunday. So for the six Sundays of the fast, there is no fasting because it's a day of celebration and feasting, but they still wanted to fast for 40 days, and so they made up this period of 46 days. The point is that early on in history, the history of the church, there were both regular days of fasting, so it wasn't, it wasn't just a once in a blue moon, it was actually part of their rhythm, in many cases their weekly rhythm, but then there were also periods of lengthy fast, like Lent, for example. John Wesley, the phenomenal founder of the Methodist movement in the 18th century, lamented, I fear there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, both in England and Ireland, who, following the same bad example, have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week that they do not fast twice in a month. You know who you are. I'm like, hectic. And he's just talking to, like, church members. He refused to ordain any pastor that didn't fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Now, I'm not saying that that is the way to go or that that is what you have to do. Nothing of what I've just described to you is a biblical mandate. However, what I am wanting to suggest is that possibly fasting is more central to the way of Jesus and has been for 15 to 1800 years that possibly we in the West, I'm, I'm talking in kind of like a westernized culture, which the majority of our church is a westernized culture, that maybe we're missing something really central, something that is actually life-giving and is not just meant to be a pressure, it's not just meant to be a hunger strike, it's not just meant to be like when, we feel, you know, when the pastor is able to make us feel bad enough and guilty enough, that maybe there's actually something life-giving to this idea of fasting as rhythm and as Response. John Mark Comer summarizes the history of fasting this way. The life of Jesus, the writings of Scripture, the voice of the global church, because there are still many parts of the world where, where especially in, in older cultures, so there'd be parts of Africa, parts of Asia, parts of South America, where, where fasting is very, very much a part of their core DNA. The voice of the global church and the teachings of the saints down through church history all say in chorus, Fasting is essential and powerful. Speaking of Jesus, for what it's worth, Jesus assumed that we would fast. If you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, some of his teachings are recorded in Matthews 5, 6, and 7. In chapter 6, he comments in verse 16, when you fast, not if, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I'll tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. So he's like, he's, he's assuming that they're going to fast. He's just challenging the motive. He's, he's not saying don't do it. He's saying check your heart so that, so that this isn't just trying to look impressive or trying to, you know, feel better about yourself. By the time of Jesus, it was common practice for Jewish people to fast twice, twice a week. In verse 17, he goes on. When you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. We would add in, brush your teeth. Then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, again, 
I want to quickly clarify, this doesn't mean that you can't let family or friends know when you're fasting. He's challenging the motive. If this is to impress, if this is to, to, to make people, you know, somehow stand back in awe of your piety, he's, no, 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 like, if that's, if that's going to be a challenge for you, then rather don't even tell anybody. But I want you to notice the last sentence then, your father who sees everything will reward you. Jesus is suggesting, I think, that if we're fasting with the right heart, with the right motive, or at least we're trying to, it's okay that we maybe wrestle over some mixed motives sometimes, that there may just actually be a gift waiting on the other side. The guys from Practicing the Way put it this way, what if we are missing out on one of the most essential and powerful of all practices of Jesus? Now, in case you're wondering what fasting is, it's not eating food for a period of time. That's not to say that there isn't value in abstaining. So some of you, if you've been around church long enough, will have heard of things like the Daniel fast, or I'm fasting sugar, or I'm fasting uh, social media, whatever. These are, these are good things. And, and honestly, I'm not going to get hung up on whether we use the term abstaining or, or fasting. But just, to, just so you know, that when it refers to fasting in the Bible, it is referring to fasting of food. The ultimate aim of fasting is to get in touch with our hunger for God. Again, this is according to the Practicing the Way team. These are the guys that have put together the series that we're wanting you to attend and participate in and practice in life group. And in case unclear, hunger is the feeling of wanting or needing something you do not have. So, the, so it's, it's the, the aim is to actually turn down, tone down some of the, some of the other appetites that are screaming so loud, trying to, trying to kind of quieten that down that I can actually recognize that underneath it all, there is a hunger, there's a yearning for God. Now, if you're not hungry for God, don't be discouraged. John Mark Comer goes on to say, we may not feel hungry for God. If we're honest, we may feel apathetic about God. All the more reason to fast, as fasting has the potential to awaken the latent hunger within our souls for God. Now, how? How, how might fasting help us to hear God? I'm going to do a quick little overview. This is unpacked in way more detail in the curriculum that we're going through in the life groups. In case you've missed it, we want you to attend a life group. Yeah. Four weeks. Give us four weeks of your life. And by the way, we want you to commit to it this week. Ideally today, we fill out a connect card so that we can make sure that we have enough groups for everybody. It is that important, we believe. Like this is something that we want for you. I'm not asking anything, I'm not, I'm not taking anything from you. We're wanting something for you. And these are some of the things that'll be unpacked in greater detail. Number one, fasting helps us offer ourselves. It helps us to offer our whole selves. Heart, mind, and strength. For some of us, it's easy to give our minds, so we want to study, learn, understand, comprehend, like work through stuff systematically. That's good. Some of us want to give our hearts in the sense that we want to feel and be passionate and creative and expressive. That's good. There's also a part that actually involves our body. Yeah. And not because we are separated into these you know, different parts, but it's about giving our whole selves. And it's possible that when we include in our minds and our affection, our bodies, that it's helping us to more give over our whole selves to God. In the Old Testament, 
There's a passage recorded in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, where it says that the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those who are fully committed to Him. I remember hearing years ago, and it stuck with me, just this picture of almost, and it's not, this isn't real, but this, but this idea of like a radar wand in heaven. Like just, just like, like just searching, searching for people who are increasingly hungry, devoted. And I'm saying that this is something that helps. This isn't a guarantee, this, there isn't a formula, I wanna be clear. No spiritual practice is a formula or a guarantee. That, that, that is something that could even be something cultic. No, no, this is, this is about positioning. The why behind the what is getting our hearts into a certain position. It's getting our minds, our, it's, it's positioning ourselves saying, God, we're surrendered to you. But our fleshly appetites, maybe you've noticed, can get in the way of us being fully committed to God. God's looking to strengthen those of us that are fully committed. But our appetites, okay, maybe not you. You're all very, very, very spiritual and godly. For me, my different appetites, and I'm not just talking about the obvious one. I'm talking about my various appetites. My fleshly appetites can get in the way of me being fully devoted to God. Offering our bodies is simply a part of offering our whole selves. I think few of us would have thought about this in the context of fasting when reading Quite a well-known passage that if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard this read many times, but in Romans 12 verse 1, Paul the Apostle says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. He's not saying don't give your heart, but he's, like, but he's including specifically your bodies. There's another part in 1 Corinthians 6 where he talks about how your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's been bought at a price. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to Worship Him. There, there, is, there is a way, is it? there is a way for us to worship God with our whole selves, with our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. But the reason for this is because of all that He has done for us. This isn't trying to earn something, this isn't trying to prove something, and it is definitely not a hunger strike. We don't get to manipulate and control God. Amen. It is because of what He's already done. The primary reason that we fast is not to get something from Jesus, although I'm telling you it's weird how you can't help but still find some level of encouragement or blessing, but it's not to get something. The first primary reason is to actually give something to him, to give ourselves to him. Paul calls this worship. John Markoma, again, who's involved in the teachings on the video, says the following, we give up food because he gave up everything. We offer our body in devotion because He already gave us His or our salvation. He gave His life for our salvation. Fasting is a way that we respond to God. And how I think this helps us to hear God is that as we offer more and more of ourselves, and it's a, pro, it's a process, it's a journey, I just want to be clear, this is not a one and done. This is, this is a journey for us, but as we continue to offer ourselves to him more and more, as we trust and obey him more, it becomes easier to discern his will or to be secure in the mystery. So maybe he's not giving you an answer that you want right now, but, but, the, but the closer we are walking with him, the less distractions there are, the less competition there is in terms of our flesh and our spirit, the more we can actually discern his will or 
the more we can discern his security. Him saying, just wait, just trust, just be when there is mystery. A second reason that we fast is because it helps us to grow in holiness, or I prefer the word holiness. Like, God is wanting us to become increasingly whole, increasingly healthy people. It's normal. Just so you know, in case you're new to following Jesus, it's normal to want to do what's right, yet to really struggle to do what's right. Like, it's normal. Not too many people here are going to give you examples, but it's normal. It can be hot. Like, there's this tension. There's this wrestling that can go on in us, and it's, and it's what theologians would call a battle between our flesh and our spirit. Our flesh not being literal our body, our material, but our, our, our other desires, our disordered desires, our other appetites, there being this tension between that and our spirit that's trying to respond to God's spirit. Again, Paul the Apostle writes in Galatians 5 verse 16, he says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's not saying that you won't have desires. He's saying that the more I walk with him, the less I'm going to gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. So don't be surprised. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict. Don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged. There is a battle going on. So that you are not to do whatever you want. We do live in a cultural moment where this is the complete opposite of the messaging. The messaging, the current narrative is do what you want. Right? If it feels real, if it feels true, you be you, be true to yourself. That, these are all different ways of saying, do what you want. But, I, but, I, but then my question would be, well, which part of you? Because I've got conflicting parts of me. If I were to just be true to me, there are parts of me that you don't want me to be true to. Right? There are parts of you that your family don't want you to be true to. Because there, there is this tension going on. As followers of Jesus, we are called to starve the flesh so that we can feed our spirit. And we find freedom as we do that. And one of the best, again, it's not, it's not the only way. I can't even say it's the best way, but I would say that from significant spiritual fathers and mothers and mentors and leaders throughout the centuries, they would argue that this is one of the most significant ways for us to starve the flesh and feed our spirit. When we fast, ideally the desire for fleshly things decrease while our spirit desires are strengthened and increased. Now I want to pause you for a sec because maybe you fasted before and you're thinking, Jason, I've done this. There was nothing about my spirit that came up. It was all, it was all the other stuff. In fact, I didn't even know I was that fleshly. I didn't even know I could be that angry. I didn't know I could be that hangry. I didn't know I could be that irritable. I didn't know I could be that, I didn't, I didn't even know that, that I could have those many weird, dark thoughts. I'm not kidding. I, there have been times in my life, I remember at, at one case doing like a multi-day fast, and I had the, like the weirdest, worst, ugly dreams. I, I can't explain that to you. I, I just want to encourage you saying that I think, I think that, there's some of that initial stuff that we have to push through, and I have a sneaky suspicion that the more fasting becomes a rhythm in our lives, and not only a response when we're desperate, nothing wrong with it being a response when you're desperate, 
Just to be clear, nothing wrong with it being a response when you're lamenting and grieving and where, and where you're needing to kind of just be with God. Nothing wrong with it. Again, it's both. But I'm saying the more, I think, that the more it becomes a routine, the more, the more we do start feeding our spirit. And, and those initial fleshly you know, wars that go on, I think, actually tend to dissipate. Think about this for a moment. Our inability to control our appetites have a ripple effect across the whole person, often resulting in corresponding inabilities to control other bodily appetites. That could be the abuse of alcohol, sex, bitterness, gossip, greed, consumerism, or power and control over other people. It's it's amazing how when we're not trying to control or address some of those disordered desires, some of those fleshly things, how it can just cross over into other areas. And yes, I would even go so far as to say, quite literally, our physical appetite. I don't know, I'm just, look, this is the truth about me, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but, but if I'm in seasons, for whatever reason, whether it's stress, emotionally, whatever, if I'm eating worse, if I'm eating unhealthily, I'm telling you, it's harder for me to control other appetites. It's harder for me to control my irritability, my anger, or other temptations. There's something connected. I don't know if it's a coincidence that Esau, some of you are familiar with the story of Jacob and Esau, that he literally gave away his destiny, his his life rights for a a meal. Because he had no control over that appetite. If you know the story of Samson, he gave away what God had called him to because of his appetite for a woman. Women aren't bad. <laughs> Talking about in this case, this wasn't, this wasn't God's plan. This wasn't his wife. It wasn't, it wasn't someone that he was meant to be with. But, the, but, he, but he had no control over that appetite. St. <laughs> Leo the Great says, fasting gives strength against sin, represses evil desires, repels temptation, humbles pride, cools anger, and fosters all the inclinations of a good will even unto the practice of every virtue. And again, I, I am increasingly becoming convinced that this is, this is true when it's more of a rhythmic part of our lives as opposed to, like Grace said, just doing that first part of the year, but it actually becoming a part of our rule of life, our rhythm of life. Yeah. Fasting draws on the power of God to overcome sin. Like any good habit, fasting is a way to increase our willpower muscle. But as many of you have discovered, willpower alone is not strong enough to break the chains of some of our disordered desires. Willpower is great when it comes to small things. Like, willpower might help me overcome my desire for chuckles. Okay? You've heard about my appreciation for chuckles. Sue says obsession. But willpower versus a years-long porn addiction or abuse of drugs or alcohol or outbursts of anger based on childhood trauma, willpower alone is not enough. We need the power of God. And one of the practices of followers of Jesus that helps us in it, helps us, it's a part of our whole way of life, is the practice of fasting. As we come to God and give him our weakness, he comes to us and gives us his strength. Fasting also weans us off the pleasure principle, which which people used to think was only a real challenge for preschoolers. 
it's now a challenge for pretty much any human being that has access to the internet. We learn how to do the right thing even when it's hard, or how to be content even when we don't get what we want. It, it literally starves the flesh more than the body. Fasting starves the flesh more than the body, which is why, by the way, I want to suggest strongly that if you are fasting food, so if you're fasting your body, that you don't feed the other fleshly stuff. So, for example, if you're fasting, um, I, again, I'm just being honest, there have been times in my life where I fasted, but like I need to distract myself because I'm so frustrated or unhappy or uncomfortable, and so I can just distract myself with whatever, whether it would be series at night or I, I, just stuff. And the, and the problem is, I'm then, in a sense, compensating potentially for trying to actually, I'm actually meant to be fasting my flesh more than my body, but then I'm feeding my flesh in other ways. I'm distracting myself in other ways. You may, you may be shopping obsessively or whatever, so that you can tick the box of having fasted physically, but, but you didn't actually starve the flesh. So I'm just saying, let's un- again, let's understand the why. Let's understand what is going behind it all. We can't use the flesh to defeat the flesh. And that's, that's what we're doing when we're just trying to, like, just wish it harder. I mean, there are practical things that we can do, but, but it's, our flesh alone cannot defeat the flesh. We actually need the power of God. Yeah. I didn't hear about this concept until, until we started studying and researching this practice, but there's something called autophagy, just out of interest. Who of you know about autophagy? You guys are very bright. <laughs> okay, three of you. The rest of you? or as ignorant as I am. So, so, so I think it's after something like 16 hours of fasting that your body goes into ketosis, etc. But at the 24-hour mark, okay, who's heard about ketosis? Who's not going to put their hand up no matter what I say? <laughs> okay, so, so ketosis after 16 hours. Autophagy is something that, that starts to take place after 24 hours, and it's literally the Greek word for self-eating, which might not sound enticing or healthy to us, but wait. It begins to break down and cleanse your body of old, dead, or damaged cells, what doctors call zombie cells. That's the type of cellular material that causes maladies like cancer, aging, and chronic disease. Some doctors call autophagy your body's way of taking out the trash. So here's a question. Is it possible that in the same way that fasting is your body's way of purifying and purging your body of zombie cells, that are killing you, that fasting might also be the soul's way of purifying and purging your whole person of self-defeating cycles of sin and shame. St. Augustine of Hippo, you'll notice we're quoting a lot of very old people, well, old as in he lived about 1,600, 1,700 years ago, said it is sometimes necessary to check the delight of the flesh in respect to licit pleasures, in order to keep it from yielding to illicit joys. Now, I know that you all know exactly what I just said. Licit and illicit. Licit is, so licit pleasures would be valid, appropriate, legitimate, acceptable pleasures, whereas illicit joys would be things that are prohibited, banned, or forbidden. In Jason's language, what he's trying to say is it is sometimes helpful to keep a check on permissible pleasures in order to resist the temptation of forbidden pleasures. An example of this, 
again, I remember reading this years ago when I was researching on like a modern day practice, the healthy practice of Sabbath in, in our context, and where the author was saying that because part of the idea is that you feast on Sabbath, like you celebrate, you thank God for the gift of rest, that you're not just a machine anymore, et cetera, et cetera. And then he said, and I've heard this from others too, that sometimes we find it so hard to feast on one day because every day is a feast. In other words, there's no significance. You might, you, you, you may even find this on special occasions or Christmas, or whatever. Where he's like, it's not really that different to to many other days because we can get so used to feeding those pleasures. Now they're not sinful pleasures necessarily in and of themselves, but the more we control, the more the more they, the more that we ring things. Some of the so 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 we don't we don't just buy stuff just because you got money, or you don't just do whatever you want because you have freedom. The, the more we submit these things, these desires, these valid, appropriate desires to God, the more we will submit our inappropriate desires to Him. Getting into very dangerous, tricky territory here. But bear with me for a moment. I, I don't want to feed fear with this comment. But please hear the heart behind this. If I'm not willing to trust God with my sexuality before marriage, why am I going to trust God with my sexuality after marriage? So I have wondered at times why people that are living together, that are not willing to commit, go all in, why, like surely there isn't quite that same level of confidence. Like we're not, we're not, honor, we're not, we're not trusting God enough Outside of marriage, but, but then we're magically going to trust God enough because you put a ring on it? Does that make sense? Okay, don't worry. I know this is awkward in 2023. But the point is, the point is, if I, there are appropriate desires, but, but, if, but if there's no control of that, if I'm not surrendering those things to God, it's going to be very hard for me to surrender the forbidden desires. And then lastly, number three, fasting amplifies prayer. Again, this will be unpacked more in the groups. But, I, but remember that prayer is communication. Prayer, prayer is another word for communicating with God, communing with God, which can include words or it can just include being with Him. To commune with someone is to just be. So, so prayer includes hearing, it includes speaking, it includes being. And so, again, I do think that fasting helps amplify our ability to hear. A great example of this is found in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I called them. So, so it wasn't just a reaction. It wasn't, no, no, the, as, they, as they were, so, so as they were engaged in a practice, they heard the Holy Spirit speak to them. It helps us to discern his voice. It helps us to, to sometimes just, just discern a little bit better between the incredible noise and distraction that is all around us. Like, it consumes us. Even in the natural, and again, I would argue that this might not happen when you first start fasting, but it may happen over time as the rest of your you know, health factors improve, is that your mind actually, like just physically, physically your mind becomes sharper. 
Some of you know that, that when you eat, the blood has to go down to your digestive system. That's why you can feel quite sluggish after a big meal. I think it's called narcolepsis. Is that right? So like chances are this afternoon, some of you are going to have that, like, that thing kick in after lunch. That's, that's because all the blood is having to rush in there. When you're, when you're fasting, there's more blood that's actually going to mind. So even just in a natural state, we can be more alert, more focused, and more open. I think another reason why it helps us to amplify our prayers, why it helps us to amplify our hearing or discerning of God's voice is because fasting is quite, a, quite an act of humility and hunger. It's humility in the sense that, I'm, God, I'm trusting you for, for whatever. If there's anything that you're wanting to achieve, you achieve it. I'm, I'm surrendered to you. It also speaks of a hunger where I'm actually hungering for God more than I'm hungering just for that immediate short-term satisfaction. I think I read this passage last week, Jeremiah 29, verse 12, where it says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will seek me when you find me with all your heart. Fasting is one of the ways to seek God with all our heart. Many would argue that money is the last thing to kind of get surrendered to God, and, and I would agree with that. But I would say that food... Man, they, they, they could fight one another for top position in terms of, am I, am, I, am I even open to trusting God? Am I more hungry for Him than my own will? Again, the guys who practice in the way put it this way. This discipline of fasting and listening for God's voice is a part of the larger movement. Listen to this language, because actually there's so much depth to this. It's part of the larger movement in the spiritual journey from decision-making to discernment. In other words, from what's good and wise, what is a good and wise decision to make my life better, to what is the will of God for my life? It's not just, it's not just wanting wisdom. It's not less than that, but it's not just that. It's, okay, but God, what's your will? And then even that is a part of a deeper movement of moving from control to surrender. For those of you that have been on the road for a long time, I want to encourage you, it's okay that it doesn't feel the same that it did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It, it may be that you're in a very different season of your relationship with God and that he's actually trying to take, that he's trying to cause a deep movement to take place. Surrender is one of the ultimate, I think, signs of maturity as a norm. I mean, when it's normative in our lives. I'm moving from trying to control everything and pray all the solutions instead of just praying the need to, I'm actually going to, God, I can actually just trust you. I can surrender. I can, I can, I trust you enough to hold on to the mystery. And I think that a heart of surrender resonates with Psalm 143, verse 8, the second part where it says, show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. From I'm in control of my life to I am the Lord's servant may be done to me according to your word. From us dictating to him to us being in a position of surrender, humility. And in closing, I want to remind you that it's hard to hear God's voice when you have already decided what you want him to say. Should we just close there? Okay. Come on, stand up with me, please. Now, this is where 
things are a little bit different to normal. You are, you are welcome to fast this week. You're welcome to start off small, start off where you are, not where you want to be. Start off with a meal or, or kind of breakfast and lunch and break it with a, with a light dinner. Um, that, that'd be great. But to be honest with you, my biggest desire is actually that as many people as possible would get into a life group for the four weeks. You can wave goodbye after the four weeks. If you find these people weird and strange and whatever, just, just give it four weeks. No other commitment beyond that. But the reason why I'm suggesting that is because I think way too often we, we hear a message, something resonates, something inspires, something moves us, and so maybe there's a quick response to that, which is great. It's, like, that's, it's good. But it's not life-changing. I want... This is something that I think God could be inviting us towards that's actually meant to be life-changing. And so I really would like you to get a deeper understanding, a deeper heart. Maybe you need to listen to this message again. But I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely believe that there's something to this practice. If done with the right heart, if done, if done with humility, if we're patient, if we don't judge it too quickly and, we don't, and, we, and we're not just discouraged because it didn't change our lives on the first day or the first time that we tried. And where, and where those of us that are a little bit, you know, over the top, you're an overachiever type of personality, you want to start like a 40-day fast, I want to encourage you not to do that. I'm saying let's just, let's just get an understanding. Come to a group. Take note of some of the tips and suggestions. There is value in doing something like this in community where you're not doing it alone. That's part of the reason that we've been working through this with our leaders first because we don't want them just to pass on the info. We, we are trying to engage, practice, give feedback, be honest when it was frustrating, when it was unpleasant, when, when the day was rubbish so that, so that when facilitating a group, we're able to encourage and offer some appropriate perspective but because also I want us to digest it, metabolize it, allow it to get into our own muscle memory. So I'm gonna pray for us in a moment, but if you wanna know what the single most important thing is that I'd like you to do, it is to fill out a connect card, signing up for a life group that'll start after next Sunday. So it's literally any day from the 14th of August during that week is where we are running the groups. Don't wait for the 14th of August. There's only four weeks. To the, to, like, we don't want you to come in halfway. We want you to get in there before the group starts. Agreed? 